This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 5th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. A new piece of Senate legislation might be the most substantial reform to sentencing in many years, reducing federal sentences for many crimes and making many other past reforms retroactive to current inmates. But it's not all positive. The legislation would also create a few altogether new mandatory minimums. Molly Gill with Families Against Mandatory Minimums discusses the proposed law's terms. Describe the Sentencing Reform and Corrections Act of 2015. This is a piece of legislation co-sponsored by Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Dick Durbin of Illinois. Well, it's a historic bipartisan sentencing reform and prison reform bill uh, that came out of Congress uh, on Thursday of last week. It has uh, extensive bipartisan support across the political spectrum, and it would reform mandatory minimum sentences for drug crimes. Uh, Some of the longest and worst sentences would be reduced and made more reasonable. And it would also allow federal prisoners to earn time credits off of their sentences for completing rehabilitative programming. Where's the backlash? Before we started recording, you described, you said there was a backlash against some of the, some of the elements here. Sure. Walt Pavlo at Forbes uh, wrote an article talking about uh, some of the feasibility concerns about the uh, back-end portion of the bill uh, in terms of its reliance on um, halfway houses, which are very scarce in the federal prison system. Um, so I, I think um, there's a little bit of concern from families against mandatory minimums, who I represent, about the new mandatory minimum sentences in the bill. Uh, we just uh, think mandatory minimums are uh, counterproductive and uh, don't need to be in a bill that is all about reforming mandatory minimum sentences. But apparently, there were members of the negotiations who wanted them, and and so they made it into the bill. There are some changes uh, to elements of current legislation on recidivism. So what are the changes there, and, and what kind of people does that affect? Sure. There are some very good improvements to gun recidivism laws. These are very lengthy sentences that are triggered uh, for people who possess guns in the course of drug trafficking offenses. And the classic case of this is Weldon Angelos. Uh, Weldon Angelos sold marijuana three times within a short period of time uh, to an undercover officer. He possessed a gun but did not use one during each of these three sales. No one was physically hurt. um, And he received five years for the first uh, sale. And then a recidivism law kicked in so that he received an additional 25 years for the second sale, an additional 25 years for the third sale for a total of 55 years. This law would lower that 25-year sentence to 15 years. And it would also clarify that the recidivist provision, that stacking of those extra long sentences, only applies if the person has a prior final conviction for possessing a gun in the course of a drug trafficking offense. Now, it makes that's intuitive because when you think about the word recidivism, most people think of, well, he was convicted, then he went to jail, then he got out, and then he did something similar, and then he went back to jail. So maybe he needs to go away for a little longer, but that's not what was going on here. That's absolutely right. Here we were seeing those long penalties for offenses that were basically all part of the same course of conduct with no intervening conviction and incarceration, and then you come back out and do it again. So how many people are likely to have their sentences affected by this, both people in prison and uh, prospectively based upon 
the kinds of crimes that are regularly committed. Sure. You, I mean, you raise a great point that this reform is retroactive. So people in prison serving Weldon-type sentences will be able to get those senten- uh, sentences cut in court, which is a very positive thing. Uh, Every year, I think there are about 140 people who receive these kind of stacked multiple nine, uh, these gun sentences uh, like Weldon received. So um, those people going forward would uh, either not receive a recidivist enhancement at all, or they would receive a, a much shorter sentence. Now, there are, as you mentioned, there are new mandatory minimums in this piece of legislation. And of course, if this is about reform, uh, that was probably a give back to somebody who was uh, on the fence about this sort of thing. But what are they and how many people are they likely to affect? Fortunately, they don't impact a lot of people. One is providing aid or arms to terrorists or sponsors of terrorism, which last year impacted just a handful of people. And the other is uh, interstate domestic violence that results in death. And again, I think last year there were about 20 of those cases uh, sentenced. So very small impact, but uh, you know, sort of unfortunately, I think a remnant of this idea that we we still have to look tough on crime, we still have to you know punish somebody and throw the book at someone even when we're doing reform. Now, Dick Durbin of Illinois, one of the co-sponsors here, has a fairly good record when it comes to this kind of uh, prison reform issue. Chuck Grassley, not so much. Sure. Senator Grassley, uh, early this year, essentially got on the floor and was talking about Senator Durbin's bill, the Smarter Sentencing Act, which went much further than this new piece of legislation does. And Senator Grassley said, there's no way I will you know, let this come out of my committee. And being the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Senator Grassley had to be brought on board. And I think he did that for a lot of reasons. Um, and I think he has... You, you know his his cooperation here and his involvement is admirable. And uh, you know he said in the press release in the press conference when they announced the bill that everybody had to give something, and Senator Grassley had to give and Senator Durbin had to give. And I think that's reflected in this bill. Some of the unconscionable sentences that we see for life are a product of people engaged in often low-level drug offenses that, at, on the third strike, trigger life in prison without parole. What are the changes to that? Most people would be appalled to know that you can actually die in prison for a nonviolent drug offense in federal court under current law, and this bill would change that. This bill would reduce a life sentence for a third drug offense down to 25 years. Uh, That change would be retroactive, so there are people in prison today who expect to be there until they die who, if this law passes, would be able to go back to court and get a sentence reduction. It also tightens up the definition of what kinds of prior offenses will actually trigger this very long 25-year mandatory minimum. And um, you know, previously we used to see, for example, uh, drug addicts with, who've had numerous encounters with the criminal justice system, maybe even for something as uh, basic as simple possession of drugs, might rack up three of those and then get a mandatory life sentence. And now that won't happen anymore if this bill becomes law. For a long time, we've had on the books, federal books, a distinction between crack cocaine and powdered cocaine that would get you wildly disparate sentences. I think it's fair to call that racist, but what changes does uh, this bill propose? Well, in 2010, Congress reformed uh, that extreme disparity between crack and powder cocaine and narrowed that disparity so that the law is now fairer and 
uh, you don't need uh, you have to have more crack cocaine now to to get these longer sentences than you did before, and that was a great improvement to federal law back in 2010. Unfortunately, Congress did not make those changes retroactive, so there are still about 6,500 people in federal prison today serving sentences that uh, I think we would acknowledge as racially disparate and vastly unfair. So this law, the, this bill, uh, would allow those people to go back to court and to seek shorter sentences in line with the new 2010 Fair, Fair Sentencing Act. Molly Gill is Government Affairs Counsel at Families Against Mandatory Minimums. You can read more about how to move to a more rational justice system at our website, cato.org.